Welcome to FASD Hope, a podcast about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder through the lens of parent advocates with over 19 years of lived experience. FASD Hope provides awareness, information, and inspiration to those people whose lives have been touched by FASD. And I'm the host of FASD Hope, Natalie Vecchione. Welcome to today's episode. The following is a paid advertisement from Go Gray. Hi, I'm Natalie from the FASD Hope podcast, and it's been three months since I began my journey in using Go Gray products. Let me share a couple of things that I've learned. First of all, in the Maintain Purple Toning Duo Shampoo and Conditioner, my hair has become so much more vibrant and I've noticed a great improvement in my hair's texture. I absolutely loved the purple toning mask and how it brightened and hydrated my gray and silver hair. From the wonderful scent, vibrant purple pigment, and its nutrient-packed formula, Go Gray hair care products have become a favorite of mine. I've truly enjoyed my Go Gray experience. You can find Go Gray at go-gray.com and only at Walmart and walmart.com. Go Gray. Embrace your gray. Thanks for joining us today. Today I'll be speaking with Kay Kelly. Catherine Kelly, called Kay by most who know her, came to the University of Washington after an extensive career in criminal justice. She worked for nine years as a probation officer for the state of California, and for 20 years as a federal probation officer. She was retrained as a mitigation specialist and served for three years as part of a team assembled by the Capitol Habeas Unit of the Federal Public Defender in Los Angeles to represent inmates on death row seeking redress of their death penalty sentences. In 2001, she joined the Fetal Alcohol and Drug Unit, FADU, at the University of Washington, working with Dr. Ann Streisguth. With a grant from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, she and Dr. Streisguth established the FASD Legal Issues Resource Center. In that role, Ms. Kelly has planned and or participated in numerous trainings for judges, defense attorneys, prosecutors, and other court professionals throughout the United States and in numerous foreign countries. Since 2013, she has organized a series of conferences about FASD in the law held in conjunction with the biennial UBC Vancouver International Conference on FASD. Ms. Kelly was instrumental in the organization of the first forensic FASD diagnostic team, FASD experts, and in the passage of an American Bar Association resolution on FASD in 2012. She is also a research coordinator for National Institute of Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism funded five-year research project, Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorders in Adults, Health and Neurobehavior, as well as an imaging study comparing MRIs from research participants with an FASD diagnosis from 20 years ago with current MRIs, brain maturation in adults with FASD. Ms. Kelly is a board member of the FASD United Alliance, Washington. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, 
in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. John Wesley. Welcome to FASD Hope. I am so honored to have today's guest, and I'm so thrilled to just have a conversation with her. She is one of those pioneer legends that parents are just so grateful for her and the work that um, she has done and, and just the pioneers just like her in the FASD community. So I'm, I'm not going to give a lengthy introduction because I just want to talk with her. So I am honored to have on FASD Hope today, Catherine K. Kelly. Kay, welcome to FASD Hope. Thank you. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Kay and I have been talking before we started recording. Just, you know, there's just so much going on in the FASD community and and so many things happening. And in the past two years, as a result of COVID and as a result of the increase in technology and accessibility, you know, I'm so happy to be able to share the work that Kay is doing and, and the initiatives and projects and things like that, because honestly, you know, folks like us, you know, who, who have kids and young adults with an FASD, we don't have a whole lot of time to attend conferences or to attend, That's you know, right. these, these wonderful events. So I'm so happy to be able to have you on Kay so that you can talk about what is important and what you want us to know. So before we start this conversation, can you just please share for the listeners who are not aware of your journey and your incredible contributions in the FASD community, can you just share a little bit about that journey and how you became involved with FASD and the neurobehavioral populations? I would be delighted. Um, it, it all began really um, after I had retired as a state and federal probation officer in Los Angeles. And I then uh, got retrained to be a mitigation specialist working uh, for the federal public defenders in Los Angeles uh, on, on behalf of clients who were on death row and who were, um, um, they were looking for redress, looking for some better outcome than the death penalty. And so it, um, it was, it was an, it's an extraordinarily important work to do, but I was very opposed to the death penalty. So I wanted to do something that I could, some materially uh, beneficial to people who were facing this. So I, um, so I would, the, the office sent me to a conference in Monterey, California, and for only people who are working in capital, on capital cases. So I chose a workshop that was uh, headed up by uh, Ann Streisguth from the University of Washington. <laughs> you know, it, when you think about how random these things can be. So I, uh, so I went to this workshop, having never heard about phenylalcohol spectrum disorder. This would have been in 1995. And so, uh, no, 1996. So I, so I, I listened and I was 
totally struck because the clients I was working with on death row, this was their experience, but no one had ever brought this up. No one had ever mentioned it. And it was, it seemed to me that no one was getting justice because people weren't aware of their disability. So I talked to Anne after the, the workshop. I said, look, you know, I've been in criminal justice for a long time, and this is not anything I know I've heard about. And it really is extraordinarily important. And she said, well, I get calls from lawyers every day and I don't know what to tell them. And I said, well, I do. <laughs> and so she said, well, you know, we're going to have to write some grants and see if we can get something going. So we did. And I was in L.A. and she's in Seattle and we get to the second round and we wouldn't get it because we were not in the same location. And finally, she said, you're going to have to move. So in 2001, I came up to Seattle and we started writing a grant and uh, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation funded us and I moved. It's, um, I founded the FASD Legal Issues Resource Center at the University of Washington, part of the fetal alcohol and drug unit. And we started talking to lawyers and we started talking to judges and we started getting the word out about this important disability and how it figured into people's behaviors and was an, you know, gave, gave people a perspective and an understanding of why these actions could have taken place because there was, there was something, something amiss. So anyway, and you got grants to work in the drug court and the mental health court and, you know, have just, you know, all along we've just done all kinds of stuff. The most important thing I think we've done is to, well, two things, figure out how to train lawyers and judges and bring that to the, to their understanding. And so that if a lawyer brings it up, the judge knows what he's talking about instead of thinking it's some kind of, uh, I don't know, something that, that, that is advocacy, but not science. This is science, you know? So, um, the other important thing is, if you remember my interest in the death penalty, we were able to put together a diagnostic team, and you've, you've spoken to uh, Natalie Novick-Brown, and this diagnostic team has saved, literally saved lives. It doesn't mean that people are going to be, um, that they are innocent necessarily, although that could have happened too, but most often they they to save their lives is, is very important. And so that's what this diagnostic team has done. They've gone all over the country and worked on cases where the stakes were so high. They've informed the court, informed the, the jury. They, the jurors understand right away. I used to do, as part of the work I was doing with the federal court defenders, I would go to jurors in past trials and just knock on their door and see if they'd let me come in and talk. And I would ask them, if you had known this, this person who you gave the death penalty to, if you had known they had uh, an organic brain damage, deficit, a problem, physical problem with their brain, would you have given them the death penalty? Would you have voted for that? No, they would say, no, I wouldn't have because that's different, you know? That's just different. So 
Anyhow, so now we have that diagnostic team and we've done, we got the American Bar Association to pass a resolution. Uh, who, who knew that lawyers, that associations could pass resolutions? I didn't know, but when the Canadians did it, the Canadian Bar Association passed a resolution and they told me about it. I said, well, if you can, so can we. And so, you know, we started this whole ball rolling and, and we, I was there August, 2012. They voted in the entire, can you imagine 400 lawyers all unanimous in their vote? I mean, that was amazing in itself. So that's, um, those are really good things that we've been able to do. In the last six or seven years, the, before Anne Streisand retired, the thing she wanted most of all was to go back to the people who she had studied back in the 90s and had found had so many problems, but they were problems that many people with this disability had. So it was not unusual, it was not a one-off. And so when we realized how many people with this disability got in trouble with the law, say, or had problems in school, or had problems with addiction, or had mental health problems, all of these things, we, uh, you know, that, that study was so important. And so now, we wanted to, and wanted to, and we could never get the funding to do it. Finally, six years ago, we got the funding and proceeded to go looking for folks scattered far and wide who uh, were in that original study back in the 90s. And we've done, a, we've found them and we've interviewed them. And the whole idea is to find out what, what, what their health problems are now in adulthood. No one's ever done that before. No one's ever looked at the lifespan, you know, they they think of it as a child, a, a disability of children that somehow you grow out of or something. And that is a lifelong disability. And it's something that everybody needs to work together to put the supports in place so that things will go well for them as they age. And they will all kinds of reasons to keep up with children's health issues because they can become adult health issues. So it's good to get them addressed. So it's, we're just finishing up the first part of this and we will be, there'll be papers coming out. One's already come out on mental health conclusions that have been drawn from what we've found. And it's uh, easy to find these, um, th this particular paper, Claire Coles and uh, Therese Grant are the two PIs, Joanne Weinberg, so you can look for that paper and read it. It's good. And um, so we've been doing MRIs and comparing the images from 20 plus years ago with now to see if there's any differences. Those papers haven't come out yet or that paper hasn't come out yet. It's a very important uh, thing to scan the brain and compare and be sure, you know, see what's, what's different between... 20 plus years ago and now. So what, what more might I talk about? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm just soaking it all in. Okay. You, you have just made such an impact and, and contributed so much before we go into our next question as a parent of, you know, at the time of airing, our, our son will be almost 20. What surprised you the most in these longitudinal studies? I think the early onset of some health issues have been really 
surprising. I really didn't think that when I was talking with these 30, now, now our, the youngest of our study subjects would be like 31. And then they range in age from thereafter all the way to 85. She did a fabulous job of recruiting and bringing in people with, from all ages. And um, that was, uh, I, I was surprised to see how early arthritis could set in or any number of others, other health conditions that would be um, usually found in a 60 year old, but instead you're finding it in a very young person. And they're very gallant and you know, they have a lot to contend with. And that attributes to the damage of alcohol, how we, we know it's a brain-based disability, but it's a whole body disability. And every system in the body is impacted by that prenatal alcohol exposure. Those over 428 medical conditions that uh-huh. we, especially our family, our son was two and a half weeks old when he came home to us and he came with all these medical needs and people think about those when they're little and then when they become toddlers and preschool and so on. But we forget that it continues for life. We need to be proactive about that as caregivers or, you know, spouses as loved ones. We need to be proactive about those medical conditions and how how they're exacerbated, especially as that individual gets older. And and I'm really thankful you're bringing this up, Kay, because Again, like the arthritis, I, we, we know of that personally. We, we, we know not only, um, you know, in our son, but in other friends that he have that have been impacted by alcohol, that, and a number of other medical conditions in their twenties and thirties become more prominent and, and we need to pay attention to that. And also we need to start asking for FASD informed primary care physicians because I'm, I get calls all the time because I have a legal issues resource center. People can call and they call and they say, the pediatrician was great, but, 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 but she's too tall to go to the, exactly. I mean, I've had pediatricians here at the university of Washington who kept their, their patients until they were 25 Mm -hmm. as they knew that they understood what the, what the problems were and others would not. But that's what we want to do. We want to, I, everywhere, everybody needs to start mobilizing around the idea of training physicians, primary care physicians, and how, what FASD is and what it, what they need to know about the disability. This is a call to action. This is a call to action from Kay and and from Kay and from me that we need more physicians, more family physicians, primary care physicians trained in FASD and the medical conditions. Of and I have, I have, you know, the, the diagnostician from the diagnostic clinic here at the University of Washington has said he would do the training so it can be done by Zoom. So, you know, that's something that we could do all over this country. I mean, everybody who, you know, he could do a Zoom training that could be made available to whoever in your community needed to know about it. Movers, movers and shakers, state affiliates, anyone who's listening, please let's, let's make this happen because as a parent of a young adult who has multiple medical conditions related to his FASD, 
this mm-hmm. is something that needs to happen. So mm-hmm. I, if, if you are interested in this, I'm going to list uh, Kay's contact email mm-hmm. so that if you want to see this type of initiative going, we need this because we know that more and more pediatricians are becoming aware and FASD informed, which is great, which we want to continue, but we need to see that with primary physicians. We need to see that with general practitioners. We need to see it with emergency room doctors. You know, we need to see it across the board in adult health. So I am so glad. Doctors, especially that's really important. Yes. Yes. That, but that really is important. And, yes. and you know, with Zoom by gum, we can yes. get stuff like this out and yes. about. And uh, Julian Davies is one of the best trainers. I we used we did we used to have a contract with the Indian Health Service, and we did a lot of Zooms. And he he was wonderful. So if we could, I mean, he's told me he would do it. But how do we do it? You know, he says, "How who's going to?" Who's going to persuade them that they need this, you know, and we're, we're putting the idea out there. Kay, we are putting this idea out there and it will grow. We're planting the seed. We're putting the idea out there. It will grow. And I, you and I will be talking after this because this is an initiative that I am on top of. I want to see this happen, you know, not just here in the States, but not just here in the States, but you know, around the world, we need to have more, adult, you know, health, I say pediatric, adult (laughs) health physicians trained in FASD. Oh my goodness. I am so happy. I asked you that question because what an important answer you gave. Oh my goodness. So in addition, many ideas I have, (laughs) (laughs) you know, we could, this, this could be, you know, we will definitely have Kay back on because, you know, I can see us talking more about these initiatives, especially the ones that she's going to talk about in a little bit. My goodness, you know, all of the work and all of the contributions you've done, Kay, and there's still so much left, you know, there's so much to do. Yes. And, you know, that's, that's why that, you know, the John Wesley quote. Yes. Animates us all right. I mean, I love all that quote. you can for as long as you can. And there it is. Keep as long as you can. And uh, so anyway, let's see. So what else? Exactly. Oh, my goodness. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about the initiatives and the project. We, t- we talked about, um, obviously, the American Bar Association resolution. Uh, yeah. And I can't believe that's 10, almost 10 years old. Yeah. My goodness. That it is seems like only a moment ago. I, I know. Every detail of it. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Let's talk about what's happening now, because I know you're working on some really important, critical initiatives and projects um, that that really our listeners need to be aware of. Well, anyone who isn't aware of the uh, of the FASD Respect Act, for goodness sake, please, wherever you are, go get do whatever you can. For as long as you can, in as many ways as you can, <laughs> because because that's critically needed, you know, because we we need to fund, you know, education about about prevent preventing this. We need to fund the research on uh, what's going on with folks, and we need to fund services. And you know, we found 
Our research has shown that the best outcomes for folks is if you've got a predictable income as an adult, you get you have a predictable income as you might with SSI, and uh, you have uh, case management services as you might have with developmental disabilities within, you know, because every state is different as to how they handle these things. And they're fighting like crazy in California to try and get services for people with this disability. And um, we, uh, you know, our, in Washington State, the developmental disability folks will consider FASD as a, a reason, depending on how impaired folks functioning is. And so that's, that's okay, that's, that we're, we're on the right track. Um, diagnostic, the diagnostic piece is, the, is, is so, that's, that's, that's our, that's the point where we really all have to try and work on this and um, to have diagnosis available. And I, um, of course, we're all hoping for a, uh, a $5 hair test, you know, <laughs> that will give us a diagnosis. Exactly. Keeping <laughs> up on these things, you know, this is very important. Um, anyway, so working on, on the FASD Respect Act and um, the, the funding that we're, that our study that we're doing now for adults with FASD and uh, their health and other issues, um, that is uh, the National Institutes of Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, NIAAA, and we all want to support them in funding all this work that we're doing. And then, you know, I, I got, see, I get a lot of calls. So, so I keep getting calls from therapists saying, you know, how can I work with somebody with this disability? I don't know a thing about it. I don't know what would be helpful and what wouldn't. They have their diagnosis already. They're adults. Uh, well, how, what? Well, how do I do this? So what we're uh, putting together, and I'm hoping that anyone who's interested will email me and tell me they are, because this, again, would be a Zoom effort. Um, we, um, you, if you uh, heard um, the podcast with the FASD Changemakers from yes. um, Vancouver, British Columbia. Yes. We had them on in January of this year, and they uh, we had CJ and Kat, and they were fantastic. Oh, they're wonderful. So I've heard them. I've you know I've been around them a long time. I've watched them grow up, <laughs> and I they're terrific. So the idea is this: that the therapist, the patient, the change makers, and a moderator from our office not me, but somebody who is a PhD therapist herself. Okay. And we build a community online um, through Zoom. And it could be bigger or smaller or reach out to, I, you know, I, I just see all kinds of possibilities for supports because people with this disability feel so alone. Yes. They, they, you know, it's hard to, to find a friend because 
you're working in several different age groups and age ranges within yourself. You know, you like, you know, a lot of different age related things. So it's really important to have, you know, folks around you who know what you're talking about and who get it. And so here are the change makers. They get it. And they've been doing it for a long time now. And they, they would be willing uh, to put together these online communities. We don't have to have just one. You can age ranges or affinity groups. Well, I don't know what all, but we could, but, but the basics are that you have a safe place where you feel accepted. You know, you're, you're everybody understands you and nobody's going to make you feel bad. Everybody's going to make you feel good and as part of the crew. And you know, we all need to be on teams. You know, we have a whole lot of different teams within our lives. You know, we have our family team. We have our school team. We have, you know, all. So we just, we need a kind of a support team. So anyway, that's, 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 I'm hoping we can figure something out. And that's, that's another seed we need to plant out there for yeah. listeners to get this initiative going. And, and as a parent, I totally, I'm just, every time you're saying more and more of this, Kay, I'm just nodding my head emphatically because we know that supports, they dwindle as individuals with FASD get older. Yeah. Yeah. And this is when they start falling into cracks and, 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 you know, just it's uh, yeah. seeing the friends and acquaintances of your adult child go on and, and go on to different stages while our adult children, they're doing that, but it's at a different pace, having a community, an online community of likewise young adults or adults, and especially moderated by wonderful self-advocates like CJ and Kat and the wonderful change makers yeah. that would give such support. And the, the words that come to my mind when I hear something like that is that you're like, you're speaking life into those individuals who otherwise so often they, they get chipped away at by, you know, by things and to, to build them up, to lift them up is I guess what I'm trying to say. So seeing a program like that come to fruition, oh Mm -hmm. my goodness, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. So I I'm going to put Kay's email and you know, the links for, for what she's talking about in today's program notes. And if you're listening out there, if either of those initiatives or anything, if, if you know somebody who could help make it happen or, or a way you could help make it happen, or maybe you're in a nonprofit or an estate affiliate or whatever, reach out to us, reach out to yeah, me, reach yeah, out to yeah. Kay. Yeah. These are two amazing, amazing initiatives that would so much help those better outcomes in, mm-hmm. in adults with, with FASD. Yeah. Okay. Wow. This has been such a wonderful, like inspiring me to just go out yeah. there and advocate, you know, Oh my goodness. Oh my yeah, goodness. That, that's what we want. I mean, oh. that, I mean, we did a, a, a zoom conference from Alberta, <laughs> you know, Canada uh, to, uh, you know, all over the world. Uh, this fall, you know, talking about legal issues. And then, of course, that's another thing, you know, um, if 
folks have, you know, that's, that's another thing that we do, which is to try and uh, inform families how they can work with their attorneys when it should someone find themselves in trouble with the law, then it's attorneys often will not understand this disability. But if we can send them, I mean, we don't need to know anything about what's what's going on. All we need to know is that there's an attorney who would like to know more about FASD. We can send them a whole lot of material. We have, you know, a website that's not great yet. We keep working on it, but there's a superb website in Canada. Uh, it's, it's, if you talked about that, it, it, it is, it's great for uh, first responders. It's great for parents. It's great for everybody. So if, um, um, if you know how to, I mean, all you have to do is put in FASD justice and you know, that'll, that'll do it. So what, one other question I want to ask you again, I'm just, I'm soaking this in Kay, because what you're saying is just, oh my goodness. It's, it, I feel like you're speaking to me personally, but yet I know that hundreds and thousands of other people are listening. So, oh no, she's speaking to me too. So, so from your, from your years of, of working in FASD and in the justice system, mm-hmm. thinking of those parents of those littles, you know, because my husband and I started this podcast because this is the podcast we wanted five, 10, 15 years ago. You know, this yeah. is, we want, this is the podcast we wanted thinking about parents of, of littles in your experience, what have been protective factors that have really helped in that transitioning to, you know, to, to high school and beyond high school, just in the amazing work that you've done, what protective factors do you think have made the most benefit for adults um, with FASD? I think parents who didn't listen to people who told them, look, he's 18. He should be on his own. You're so overprotective. It's terrible. (laughs) I can, (laughs) this is just, this is just not the way it is. And so I think that what, I've sometimes said, if you think about adolescents for folks with this disability, running till the time they're about 30, uh, you know, just don't be in a hurry to see them on their own, even though, you know, other people would say to you, oh, do that. Uh, the other thing is for sure, if you can, to get a um, guardianship is always a good uh, good thing because for a variety of reasons. Yes. Uh, um, and, um, but I, I would, uh, and the transitions need to be so carefully done and so slow. And I've seen some really wonderful housing options <clears throat> that parents have done. They've put together a house that, you know, and that works out really well. Um, I, I know about a family and it just, it's just such a lovely thing to do. The, the children, both, they wanted to get married 
and the parents agreed you could get married. You'll spend um, part of the month in this parent's home and part of the month in that parent's home. And it works, you know? They've got what they want from each other and, and yet they're not, they don't have to make a ton of decisions that, you know, because folks can be so vulnerable, vulnerable and it, you don't want your kids uh, to be exploited in any way. So protection is really important and, and not, not listening to anybody or feeling guilty about it at all because there's no, there's no such thing as overprotective. Thank you. Thank um, you. Accommodating doesn't end at 18. That is my motto. Yeah. accommodations do not end at 18. And mm. Kay, again, I feel like you're speaking to me because, <laughs> because we've experienced this. We're personally experiencing this is, is people think even the people that you thought understood, you uh-huh. know, think, oh, you know, oh, you're just enabling him. No. Um, oh, when I hear that word, Kay, that word. makes, oh, it word, makes, eh? yes, yes. Yes. With, with this disability, with having an FASD and parenting a young adult, like you said, the parenting doesn't stop when they're 18 or the parenting doesn't stop if they're out of the house and say in a, in a, you know, supportive living environment or something. Mm -hmm. No, Mm -hmm. you're still parenting. You're still accommodating. And we're both just, you know, if this were a video podcast, Kay and I are just both shaking our heads. Yes, that's right. And Absolutely. you have to continue, I think. And, and I'm just jumping down this rabbit hole with you, Kay. You have to continue to be proactive long after the chronological adult happens. You, you really do. Because um, I, I think just in the short time that I've learned about FASD and, and spoken to so many wonderful professionals and, and legacies like you, you, you have to be, I think proactive is, is a really good summary of how you need to, to parent proactive and accommodating and supportive. And those don't end when adolescence, when chronological adolescence. That's ends. right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and, and you, you can see it has to be different for each, each individual. Yes. But the families who are still engaged in their adult children's lives are performing a social service for a personal service for their family, but, but a social service for the rest of us because, because the decisions can be made can have significant effects, you know, that, so, and, and also if someone does get in trouble with the law, you really need to educate and then um, educating lawyers in your communities. Um, If you've got anybody who's listening to this, if you, if you've got a community where you feel that the attorneys don't know enough about this disability, you know, let me know because we've got teams around the country who will, they will go 
and they will train the lawyers. And they don't charge anybody anything. They pay their own way to get there. They just want to do the right thing. And they're saints. I mean, I got to tell you, I mean, to see somebody in North Dakota get on the plane and go to Texas, you know, on his own time. I know who you're talking about, too. <laughs> and I love him. Yeah. And, he was- just, and he's one of a dozen people. Yes. yes. And and um, so and anything you can do to help facilitate that. Yes. Uh, you know, that's you, you're a partner in all of this. I mean, really. So um, I, I, I have a, a, a little chapter that if anybody wants to, I can send it to them. It's how to talk to your attorney, the attorney, yes. um, because it, they're, they're so used to every parent saying, oh, he's a good boy or she's a good girl. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't, don't call me, you know? <laughs> so you have to, you have to do things differently. And, um, and that's another, that's a whole other podcast, you know? Yes. Yes. <laughs> but, and that's, so if you're interested in that information, again, you can either email me or uh, we'll be putting Kay's information in our program notes. And if you want specifically that information too, please mm-hmm. let us know because that's so important. Again, I, everything, I feel like, I feel like this is just a personal conversation and then I'm just going to air it as a podcast because you're just speaking so much into the lived experience that, that we parents have uh, of, you know, young to now in this new stage in these new ages. And, and Mm -hmm. I just am so, so thankful, Kay, of the work that you've done, that Dr. Ann has done, that everybody, that the trails that you've blazed before us, you know, we, we are so thankful for, for everything, you know, and to think if those, everything that you've done to think if, if that was not there, I don't even want to think about that because the work that you've done has just laid such framework for things like the FASD Respect Act and for, you know, training, you know, physicians, all these wonderful things that we still have yet to do. Um, again, just from the bottom of my heart, from, from the listeners that, that message me, thank you, Kay, for everything that you've done for the FASD community, you know, us, us parents. It's an honor. <laughs> oh. It's an honor, you know. Oh, do, what you, do what you can, right? That, yes. that, that goes on my tombstone, right? <laughs> I, I love that John Wesley. I love oh, that's that. the other one, yeah. So, so before we end, Kay, how can people get in touch with you? What's the best way to get in touch with you? Oh, no, this is very easy. F-A-S-L-A-W. That's, that's, that's F-A-S-L-A-W at U-W- edu and that's that's all it takes and um we you know university of washington uw.edu and we will list that information in today's program notes so Kay, this has been such a wonderful conversation and I am just so happy you're here. And I hope that you'll come on again, either at the end of this year or the beginning of next year to, to update us on those 
initiatives. And um, I, I just want to have another conversation with you because I am truly enjoying this discussion and what you're saying is speaking life into me as, as a mom. So um, again, I'm just so thankful. So I like to end on words of hope and encouragement and you just everything you've done gives me hope and encouragement. And I know for so many other parents, um, what words, what final words of hope and encouragement can you give to anyone in the FASD community, whether they be self-advocates, whether they be parents, loved ones, professionals wanting to learn more, what are some words of hope from your experience that you can share with us? I think the fact that this is a worldwide community, that the people in New Zealand are experiencing the same things that we're experiencing here. I've, I've been, I've, I've given talks all around the world and it's, and we all are united by our understanding of this disability. It is a, um, I think it's a group geared for support and understanding. And I, I my hat's off to parents. They're doing a, a, a remarkable job. And I see it because the, the kids who were in our study back in the 90s, I'm talking to those parents now, foster parents, adoptive parents, all kinds of folks. Um, you know, the good, the, 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 the 85% of our study stamp, sample uh, are parents adopted or foster. So I know, I talk to people every day and I know what good they have done and are doing. And my hat is off to them. So keep, keep going. It gets hard. It gets easy. It gets hard. It gets easy. It's difficult. It's rewarding. You know, it's just, it's kind of life writ large. <laughs> you know, it's uh, so thank you. Thank you for all you're doing and we'll continue to do. I know. And ending on those wonderful words of hope and encouragement, Kay Kelly, thank you for being on FASD Hope. It was my extreme pleasure. Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Vecchione. If you like our show and want more information, check out FASDHope.com or please leave us a five-star rating and review and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you join us again next week and remember to be informed, take care, and always have hope.